This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 122. Psalm 122, we're looking this morning at the entirety of the psalm, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of God. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. We give thanks to the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that as we study uh, this passage of your word this morning, that you would be our guide in understanding it and applying it. Father, we pray that as we think about these things, that our hearts would be filled with your grace, but also with a great sense of worship and adoration of you, the one who spoke this Word And Father, we pray that you would feed our souls on it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. They say that getting there is half the fun. But as any child who's ever asked, are we there yet, knows, the point is to get there, to arrive. Well, Psalm 122 is about arriving at the destination. In the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 through 135, travelers would set out on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the various feasts. And most of the time, their journey was a pleasant one. Uh, getting out, going on the road, often, as uh, the passage in Luke indicated, being with extended family, making the trip together, being with friends, traveling as a group. But there were also perils on the road as well. Some of them mentioned as uh, in Psalm 121, we looked at last time, uh, treacherous mountain paths, bandits that could be lurking behind rocks, ready to ambush uh, the heat of the day, the dangers of the night. And yet, as Psalm 121 said, their help is in the name of the Lord, uh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he would see them through. Well, if Psalm 121 expresses their confidence in God's care 
while they are on the road. Psalm 122, our text this morning, celebrates their arrival in Jerusalem. And the psalm is really a celebration of the city itself, a celebration of what the city represents, what it stands for, and an expression of their joy in finally being there. But what did Jerusalem mean? What was it about Jerusalem that filled their hearts with joy? Well, in a word, worship. Because coming to Jerusalem meant coming to the place where God was in the midst of His people as His presence was symbolized, not contained, but symbolized and mediated uh, holy God in the midst of His sinful people through the sacrifices mediated uh, there in their presence. And so coming to Jerusalem meant drawing near to God. It meant entering into the presence of God and coming together with others uh, for the same purpose. Coming together uh, as people would converge on the, on the way and the groups would grow larger until finally from all directions they're coming into Jerusalem. All for the same purpose of drawing near to the Lord in worship. In short, Jerusalem represented the people of God gathered in the presence of God for the worship of God. And that's, that's where it all came together. As one uh, writer uh, said it, in Jerusalem, everything that God said was remembered and celebrated. When you went to Jerusalem, you encountered the great foundational realities. God created you. God redeemed you. God provided for you. In Jerusalem, you saw in ritual and heard proclaimed in preaching the powerful, history-shaping truth that God forgives our sins and makes it possible to live without guilt and with purpose. In Jerusalem, all the scattered fragments of experience, all the bits and pieces of truth and feeling and perception were put together into a single whole. In other words, it's a little bit like what happens when we gather for worship each Lord's Day. Of course, there's some differences. We're not coming together once a year to celebrate the Passover. Uh, we don't uh, bring our lambs or animals to be sacrificed since Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. Uh, this building, this physical structure, is not the house of God now in the New Covenant. You and I are individually and uh, together as God's people. We are the church. We are the temple, the dwelling place of God here on earth now. However, uh, we do come together each Lord's Day, not once a year, but once a week on the Lord's Day. We come together as God's people, in the presence of God for the worship of God. Now, there are some differences, but yes, there are some things in this psalm that should resonate with us as God's people today as well. There are three things in particular that I want us to think about in this psalm, some things that, that we share in common with them. A lot of differences, yes, but some similarities as well. Let's think about them. First of all, there is anticipation. There is anticipation of coming into the presence of God. And we see that. Uh, demonstrated in the first couple of verses. 
There's an excitement about setting out. Notice verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You see, they're glad when pilgrimage time rolled around again. And somebody said, you know, it's time to start getting ready. It's time to set out for Jerusalem. It's time to go back and uh, draw near to the presence of God. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. You know, that should resonate with us as God's people. There should be a sense of gladness when the Lord's day rolls around again and it's time to get ready to go to meet with the people of God in the presence of God for the worship of God. We should resonate with them in that, that there's, there's a sense of anticipation, a glad, a joyful anticipation about coming together to worship God. Now, we could say on the flip side of that, if your experience of coming here this morning uh, from week to week is one of dread, one of distaste, one of dislike, Uh, that you would come only grudgingly, that you would take every opportunity not to come, then something is wrong spiritually. There's something wrong there. There's something that's not what it should be. Maybe there's something wrong in another place. Maybe there's something wrong with the church if it's a place where you dread coming, if it's a place where you go away uh, sad or upset over what's going on. And yes, there are uh, so-called churches uh, that if you went to and heard what was said and what was done, you should go away upset and disturbed and angry. But the normal experience of a Christian going to a Christian church should be one of anticipation and going away with a sense of, of, of delight, of satisfaction, of fulfillment for having been there. Now, granted, there are days when we're not feeling well. Uh, there are days maybe when something's going on in our life that has us distracted, that has us discouraged, uh, where it might be difficult come in, 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 into the presence of God with the people of God to worship God. But the ordinary experience of the believer should very much resonate with verse 1. There should be a glad anticipation. I know for some of you uh, it has or maybe does involve getting children ready and small children ready. And uh, just the, 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 the difficulty of that can make uh, getting ready and coming to worship uh, uh, difficult, maybe not a glad experience, maybe a difficult one or a harried one. Um, I know that conceptually. I have to admit, uh, for the last 16 years, my wife has been uh, a pulpit widow or a pulpit uh, single mom. Uh, I could probably count on, if not one hand, maybe two, the times uh, where, where I've been around to help get our children ready for church because I'm usually over here very early. So I wish I could say how you feel. I don't. But my wife does uh, in getting small children ready. And that can, that can be difficult, but with preparation in advance and uh, good coaching, at least the, the, the weariness can be uh, somewhat diminished in, in doing that. But all that said, the general disposition of the Christian should be a glad anticipation of coming to worship God. And there's excitement not just about setting out, but there's excitement about getting there, about being there. Look at verse 2. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Uh, Some translations render it, our feet are standing within your gates. Uh, Either way, there's a sense of the excitement that we're here, we're actually here. Remember last week, Psalm 121 was the journey. 
Psalm 122, they're standing around saying, wow, we're finally here in Jerusalem. This is the place. Have you ever had that experience where maybe it's a vacation or uh, even an event, and there's a lot of anticipation, there's a lot of work that goes into preparing for it. Uh, for some of you children, it might be this way with Christmas. You think about it, uh, you've looked forward to it, uh, and finally it's Christmas Eve, and you say, I can't even believe it, Christmas is actually here, or summer vacation. You know, in September, it seemed like it would never get here. And then next thing you know, school is out and it's summer vacation. Or maybe it's a place. I can remember growing up having this fascination with New England. Uh, and some of that, as I got a little older, was theological, just because of the religious history, the Christian history in New England. But um, uh, probably for that reason, for me, and because my wife likes fall leaves, we went to New England on our honeymoon. I can remember arriving in Boston, saying Bank of New England and Boston this, and thinking, yeah, this is really finally here in New England, really here. Uh, and I remember a mission trip in Korea and arriving in Korea at Kimpo Airport, thinking, you know, I'm on the other side of the world. It's hard to believe, really actually here. Perhaps you've had that experience with an anticipated vacation uh, or an event coming up. Well, that's what's expressed in verse 2. Our feet are standing within the gates of Jerusalem. We're here. Maybe some of them it was for the first time. Others thinking, yeah, it's great to be back here in Jerusalem. Can't believe I'm back here in this city. So this anticipation, the excitement that it's coming, getting ready, setting out, but also just the, the excitement of being there. And that should be true for us as believers. To be here, to be back, uh, should be something that excites us. I was reading something recently. It actually made me stop and think, because honestly, it's not my experience. But uh, the comment was that for many Christians, Sunday and coming together for worship is the only time of the week, maybe except for their family, that they're with other Christians. Many of you work in places you're surrounded by unbelievers. Uh, maybe it's in a different atmosphere. Maybe it's even an antagonistic atmosphere toward, if not you, toward what you believe. Uh, but it should be a refreshing and an exciting place to be back where you're surrounded by people who love the Lord and love to sing his praises, love to study his word. So anticipation is certainly something that we share with these travelers uh, of that time in Psalm 122. There's another element of it, and that is participation. Not just looking forward to it, but actively engaging in what goes on. We see that in verses 3 through 5. Uh, first of all, it has to do with structure. Look at, uh, look at verse 3. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. Now, exactly how that should be translated is somewhat debated. He's commenting on the city. Is he commenting, uh, as the ESV says, bound firmly together on the the, the coziness of it, the the tightness of it? We would probably be surprised how small it was, given uh, our being accustomed to, to modern cities. This was a city where you traveled on foot. The streets would be narrow. Everything would be close together. Uh, some have suggested he's commenting on the walls, how, how tight and protecting the walls of the city are. Others commenting even on, in, a, in a not so much literal but metaphorical sense of the unity of the city that we pull together as one here in Jerusalem. Uh, but the structure of it, the, the beauty of the city, how well it's put together, maybe the temple precincts as well. Now, I don't know if you had much thought about our church building as you pulled up today and its structure. Uh, probably the building committee has, has thought a great deal about it more than you have recently in the grounds and all of that. But in our context, that's not really the point. 
Uh, we might admire the structure of the church as God has ordained the new covenant people of God with, with elders and deacons, congregation, the priesthood of all believers. Uh, certainly in the context of worship, there is a structure to what we're doing here. We hope that the order of worship has a certain unity and structure to it, and it typically does. Uh, we don't tend to talk about it as much as we should, but the order of worship in beginning with praise of God and and confession of sin, whether through a formal uh, liturgy or just in the pastoral prayer, uh, as I or Mike would pray, leading us in confession, uh, hearing from God's word, uh, acknowledging and thanksgiving through through our uh, gifts as well as our praises, the goodness of God, and then and then hearing from the word preached, uh, and then the blessing of God as we go out, fed by His grace, instructed in His word to live for Him in the week. There is a unity. There is a structure even in in the context of a worship service. So there's participation in the sense that this isn't haphazard, but as Paul says, it's done, we trust, decently and in order. But there's not just a sense of the structure, the structure of the city, the structure of the people of God and coming together in their context, the sacrifices and so forth, in our context, the service of worship, but there's also adoration in the sense of participation in the adoring of God. Uh, look at verse 4. Jerusalem, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel uh, in Deuteronomy, where the, the feasts were laid out, the instructions given to go up to Jerusalem for these feasts, that's what he's referring to, as was decreed for Israel. To do what? To give thanks to the name of the Lord. The tribes, the people of Israel from all different places coming together to give thanks to the Lord, to acknowledge his blessing, to, to adore him, to praise him, to thank him for who he is and for what he has done. When we come together for worship, you are not spectators. You are participants. You are the modern day tribes of Israel, the people of God in the new covenant who come together to give thanks to the name of the Lord, to acknowledge who he is, to acknowledge his grace to us in Christ. So you are not uh, passive observers of a worship service. It's one of the, the, the great corrections that the Protestant Reformation made in worship was the congregation uh, were not passive observers of what went up on front, what, what happened at the altar with the priests and with the choir or whatever, but you were also active participants in worship, and you are. Uh, certainly through singing, certainly through hearing and praying along with the prayers, certainly in uh, hearing the word of God. This, too, is an act of worship. Sometimes you hear worship services, well, we have some time for worship, and then we have preaching. Well, that's a false dichotomy. Studying God's word together, even if I'm the only one talking, you are listening, I hope, you are mentally engaged and thinking, uh, you too are participating. And uh, it's not entirely a monologue. I look at you and I can see a little bit of what's going on, uh, interest or lack thereof, uh, agreement or skepticism, uh, alertness or lack of alertness. I see when those eyes go to half-mast. Uh, so I'm getting feedback. It is a little bit of a two-way street here, even if you're not saying anything. You may be saying more than you think. But but adoration, that's what we've come here for, whether it's the part that Mike would play or I would play up here or the part that you play 
in the congregation, we're all active participants in adoring God and giving thanks to the name of the Lord. But also rule. Talk about participation. Um, there's also an element of rule involved in our coming together, as was there. Notice verse 5. You know, he's, they're there in Jerusalem. They're taking it all in. You know, here's where the tribes come. It's the temple where we give thanks to the Lord. And verse, it's almost like a travelogue. Uh, verse 5, there, thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David. What is the throne? Well, the throne is rule. The throne is where the king rules his people. Well, we don't have a throne in here today. Uh, what would be the equivalent? Well, the equivalent today is not the throne in the church so much as it is the pulpit, or to be more specific, the Word of God, because it's through the Word of God that our King governs us, uh, over which He rules. Now, He rules certainly by His providence, yes, but when we come in the context of worship, it's in the Scriptures that we hear from our covenant King, hear from the Lord, who rules us, who governs us, who tells us how we are to live as His people. Uh, just as Jerusalem was the seat of rule and order for Israel, so there's a sense in which the pulpit, the Word of God, read and preached, is where God governs His people, rules His people today. So, not just anticipation, but then we get there and there's participation in acknowledging the structure, uh, in adoring God and giving thanks to Him, and in receiving His rule in this context through His Word. But then there's a third aspect that resonates with us, and that's intercession. Uh, look at verses 6 through 9. Uh, in these verses, he states several times what he wants for God's people. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, there's a play on words there. Peace, you're familiar with the word shalom. And although it's not quite as clear, uh, Jerusalem, that Salem, Salem part, is related to the word shalom, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. There's a connection, there's a play on words. Pray for the peace, the city of peace. May they be, may they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls, security within your towers. So you can't miss it. What he's looking for is the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of the people of God, verse 6. Verse 7, again in verse 8, I will say, peace be within you. So he wants peace for God's people, shalom, that, that wholeness and well-being that comes through God's grace. And he also wants the security, the protection of God's people. May they be secure who love you. Security, verse 7, within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. Well, that's what he wants. But how does he get it? Well, he asks, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, the word pray there is actually where it just it means ask. But if you're talking about asking of God, we would call that praying. But ask God for the peace of his people. Uh, he, he prays for that. He asks for that, which leads to him pronouncing it. Verse 7, peace be within your walls. Verse 8, I will say peace be within you, so he asks God for it and declares it or pronounces it upon the people. And he prays for their security. And look at verse 9. He also pursues the good of the people, and he does that through praying, but this is a little bit broader language, verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. As God's people today, uh, we, we should join in intercession for the people of God, 
for the peace of God's people, the peace of the church. Uh, as, as officers, we, we vow to uphold the peace and purity and the unity of the church. There are those who not only fail to pray for the peace and the security, the peace and the protection of God's people, but actually undermine it through divisive words, divisive behavior, stirring up dissension, leaving strife in their wake. Well, we should certainly oppose that and discourage that kind of behavior in the church. Uh, And as he says, to pray for the peace of God's people and to do everything we can to seek the good of God's people, which includes being a peacemaker, which includes living peaceably with all. And uh, as he says, doing everything we can to seek the good of God's people. So intercession and more narrowly praying for the worship services, not just the church generally, although certainly for that, but praying as, as the Lord's day draws near, praying for the service, praying that God would use that time of worship to encourage us, to feed us, to strengthen us, to draw the lost to Christ. Pray for me uh, in preaching. Pray for Mike in preaching. Pray for our teachers in Sunday school, that God would bless and use those efforts for the building of his church. If you pray for me, as God answers your prayers and blesses me, he blesses you. His, pre- his blessing on my preaching is his blessing on you and your spiritual growth in grace. So pray for me. Pray for our worship services in advance of them through the week as you think about it. To, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. To pray uh, that they would be secure who love the Lord. Pray for our covenant children. We do that on Sunday nights. So that's just not just a, a matter of habit or tradition. We should be pleading for the peace and the protection of our covenant children in Christ. And so there should be in the Christian's heart, just as there was then, anticipation of worship, participation in worship, and intercession for worship and for the church. Now, as this takes place, in our case, on a week-by-week basis, a Sunday-by-Sunday basis, This pilgrimage isn't just a matter of driving to church each Sunday, or even mainly a matter of coming to public worship each Sunday. It's much bigger than that. You see, the pilgrimage here, in a a bigger scale, is the Christian life, the whole course of which is anticipation uh, of arriving at our destination. Because you see, someone shared the gospel with us, or we heard it preached to us, or we heard it taught to us, or our parents raised us telling us of Christ. And the Holy Spirit gave us a new heart. And so we believed the gospel. We believed in Christ as our Savior. And we were glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's come to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow Him. And we were glad. And so we set out following Christ. Most of the time, that's a pleasant and joyful pilgrimage, but there are times when there are perils, when there are dangers, as Psalm 121 says. But the Lord blesses us with refreshment and joy along the way. But we need to be careful, living the Christian life, that we don't confuse the anticipation of the journey with the joy of arrival. You see, we're a lot like the children in the back seat who can't see anything but the back of the seat in front of them. We can't see the forward view 
And so we ask, are we there yet? And our Heavenly Father says, no, not yet. Are we there now? No, not there now. One day, our Heavenly Father will say to us, we're here. We've arrived. And we'll stand there thinking, scarcely believe it. Our feet are standing within the gates of the new Jerusalem. This is where God's people have come from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who believed in Christ and entered into the holy city of God. This is where the people of God have come to. This is where we've gone up to. And over there, look, it's the throne of the son of David. Scarcely believe it. Peace, security. Our feet are standing within the gates of the new Jerusalem. We prayed for it. We longed for it at times. We doubted it. But we're here. We've arrived. And as we look around, we'll be awestruck at the beauty of the place, thinking, can't believe it. But we're here. Are we there yet? No. But in Christ Jesus, we will be. Let's pray. Father, the journey indeed is often sweet. But how much greater will be our arrival at the destination? Uh, Lord, as children who think the trip to Disney World will never get here. Lord, it can often seem to us that the new Jerusalem, the glory itself, is remote and far away and will never get here. But Father, the day will certainly come. When, like these pilgrims, we will be amazed to look around and discover we're there. And Father, we look forward to that day. But we pray in the meantime for the peace and protection of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.